explains their creation. You see, that's first father. He's the very first human. Mm. Is he dead? He sacrificed himself to make the world. That's the tree of life bursting out of his stomach. Hey, come. Listen. His body became the tree's roots. They spread and formed the earth. His soul became the branches rising up, forming the sky. All that remained was first father's head. His children hung it in the heavens, creating Shibalba. Shibalba? The star? The nebula? So what do you think? About? That idea. Death as an act of creation. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode. A movie episode. A fantasy movie episode. Because last week was sci-fi. So this week is fantasy, and next week will be horror. Fantasy, horror, sci-fi. That's how we do. Could this be sci-fi, though? Listen. (laughs) Sci-fi, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Sci-fi is basically fantasy, where the fundamental difference in the world is scientific. Right. Well, here's what I'm going to say with that. We do have a spaceship, which is marginally a spaceship. We have a tree bubble in space. It is technically a space vessel. It is a a space traveling vessel. But we don't have a lot of discussion of technology. And technology is not what drives... Biological technology. (sighs) Okay, yeah, I guess. But not so. it's not far future technology. It's like our technology where we made one stunning discovery. Right. So I would say, yes. And the focus on themes is more in line with fantasy. Yeah, I'm going to say this is more fantasy because we are more discussing. We are not discussing technology and space travel and the implications of space travel. Often sci-fi is discussing the implications of space travel the dis, the repercussions of interacting with life that is unlike our own or traveling far what what are the psychological effects of space those are the themes we generally explore in sci-fi right whereas in fantasy we are exploring interpersonal things and this is an extremely interpersonal movie. We, we're talking about relationships and romance and connections between people and connections between all living things and life itself and the idea of all of life being connected and it being able to transfer and all of that, which is not what you would typically associate with a straight, hard sci-fi right. movie. I just wanted to raise that. No, it's a good question. I think that the line gets blurred often in good movies. Well, and that's why the genre is called sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. Because sci-fi effectively is a sub... Set of fantasy. uh, Yeah. Yeah. All fantastical stories fall under the fantasy. Even horror. It's just scary fantasy. Really. Right. But I think fantasy is a good catch-all category for ones that are like The Fountain. Or I wouldn't include it in a horror review. I wouldn't necessarily think of it if I was doing straight sci-fi. But it definitely fits in the fantasy category. So 
I think that's what that's probably what we'll use our fantasy category for is like this is a fucking awesome movie. I don't know where to slot it, but it does <laughs> it's nothing about reality, so clearly it's fantasy. So yeah. we'll just throw it in fantasy. But before we get too far. Hi, hi you're Rachel. And you're Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. You, honey you're, you're just like a moment of inspiration <laughs> i remembered before you remembered you did so i was ready to go with i remember twist. i just let us riff for a little bit because that's our shtick honey it's our shtick yeah. we riff we intro and then we just go which is our time to go so we first saw this movie in theaters on a date night on a date night and i think my brother came with us um, I'm almost positive. He did. I, I remember the car ride home afterward was just me and you. Yeah. Well, I remember seeing it because I thought, oh, this is about an immortal guy. And we all know my feelings about immortal men. Yep. I was like, oh. Whether this- or not they need to drink blood or. No, no. Just immortality is fine. It's fine. Um, but I was like, oh, it's an immortal guy who's been alive all the way from being a conquistador to being in space. Well, this will be really interesting. I want to see where, how we do this. That's not what the movie is about at all. At all. <laughs> it's not even loosely what the movie is about. <laughs> Immortality is a footnote. It's an invented part of this movie and it basically just gives emotional depth to like how much he loved his wife yeah and how significant she was to him and the lengths that he would go to for the things that were meaningful to her yeah i'm looking at the description that does not include taking a day off work well, no, because he literally doesn't have a day to spare. He doesn't have hours right. to spare. So here's the description from Google. A man travels through time on a quest for immortality and to save the woman he loves. As a 16th century conquistador, Thomas searches for the legendary fountain of youth. As a present-day scientist, he desperately struggles to cure the cancer that is killing his wife. Finally, as a 26th century astronaut in deep space, Tom begins to grasp the mysteries of life, love, and death. 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 Uh, Where did we say it was the 26th century? Did we get any kind of time? I think there's a reference to 500 years ago. Oh, okay. 500 years later. I think he says something like, it took me 500 years to realize something. Yeah. Or like to finish the story. Yeah. Which is 
bold. He did nothing else for 500 years except tattoo himself and wander around sadly. <coughs> Maybe and we don't know how much of that 500 years is traveling in the in spaceship. The bubble. Yeah, because he had to travel all the way to Sibulba. Shibulba. Shibulba. Yeah, the Mayan afterlife. Oh, wait. I thought, wasn't that the pod racing guy? (laughs) (laughs) Sibulba. Oh, my God. You mean George Lucas wasn't completely... Um, brand new original. and original when he wrote his story. Well, fuck me. My God. Oh, wait. We all knew that. Yeah. Well, if you didn't know that already, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we feel about the prequels around here. Okay. So we watched this in the theaters. Yeah. In 2006. Six. Yeah, when it came out. And... I guess that would have been the year after we started dating. Yeah, wow. Talk about a crucible. Honey, you want to go watch a movie? Sure. Let's go watch The Fountain together. (laughs) So we watched this movie in the theaters, and then we had a long drive home, and we talked about it nonstop. Yeah. And then we talked about it after we got home, and then uh, we've talked about it a few times since then, but this will be the second time I've ever watched this movie. (laughs) But it's had a it's, very large impact. Yes. It has lived in my mind rent-free for a long time. Yes. It's one of those movies that it's not so complex that you can't hold the whole movie in your head all at once. Right. And it's one, it's you, okay, it's like when you go to a fancy restaurant and you get a plate and it only has a couple bites of food on it. Right. But it's some of the most memorable bites of food you've ever had. It's not a big meal. It's not a overly complex meal but but it is is a beautiful well-crafted meal yeah and the nuance in this meal forces you to slow down and think about it but it's not a whole lot to digest i mean it's it's a lot to it's not a lot to digest it's a lot to digest it's not a lot to consume right yeah Um, that's a good way to put it so it's split into three well, any, yeah, we'll just break down the basic plot. So it's split into three sections. and Three stories. Three stories. And we really get a little glimpse um, of each section throughout the movie. We're always cycling through. And only one of them is completely fictional. So the story of Tomas, the conquistador, is completely fictional. It's Izzy's book. Right, it is Izzy's a book story. that Izzy is writing, and it's to help Tommy move through. Tommy? Tom, his name is Tom. She calls him Tommy. Oh, okay. Um, it's to help Hugh Jackman work through her death. Right, and I was thinking of it as Izzy's idea of the story that Tom is telling himself about what he's doing. Yeah. Where he's, he has this woman. Yeah. This, his queen. His queen. And he is on a quest to save her life through all of the trials and struggles that that entails. Yeah. And he does it. Yeah. 
right? He finds the thing that he was been uh, searching for. So, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to turn conquistador into a ver- into a verb, and I realized it would be conquesting. Conquesting, yes. <laughs> he has been conquesting for. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, but it's set like, like any fantasy story. Yeah. You take a basic plot, but you just put it in a different context so that the, the meaningful parts are more apparent. Yeah. In contrast versus like the story of, I guess, present day. Yeah. Is the same story. Yes. He has the the significant woman, and he has his conquest that he's pursuing, but it's set in the, in a world that is so similar to ours that it becomes mundane and the significant stuff just blends in to the mundane background. It becomes something that you can easily overlook. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and this story, it is. It's Izzy's way of helping Tom say goodbye to her. Yeah. Um, By showing him that she understood what he was trying to do. That in her mind, he was this heroic conquistador, although the conquistadors were heroic. But it was just... It's a fantasy. It's a fantasy, but I just want to put that out there. That he was this man would sacrifice anything for the woman he loved. Right. And that in her mind, the effort that he was undertaking was worthwhile. Yeah. Whether or not he was successful for her. Yeah. Because of because of all the intention that he had behind it. Right. Yeah. And then we have our second story, which is modern time. And that is Tom and Izzy. And it's our primary story. Yeah. It's uh, effectively our, present day. It's our catalyst for everything else that's happening, which is. And I like how they excluded so much of the like personal technology yeah. so that you don't feel like it's aged poorly. Right. It's very timeless. The only technology that anybody interacts with is Tom and the other lab people. And they're in just a, a, lab. a bio. Yeah. Tech lab. Yeah. Yeah. And Izzy has cancer and she's dying. And Tom is a medical researcher and he is trying to find a way to save her. And that's our modern story. Yeah. And then we have our story, which is evidently set in the 26th century, where we have Tom. Which is just completely like out of. (laughs) This is your, this is a motherfucking Hail Mary. They were right. like, this, you know what? You're here because you came to watch a Darren Aronofsky movie. With Hugh Jackman in with it. With Hugh Jackman in it. And we know why you're here. You guys ready? Because here we fucking go. And you are we in We know a, you're not here for this. Yeah. But you're here for this. You're here for this. <laughs> so it is Hugh Jackman and a tree in a bubble traveling through space. Theoretically, they have been traveling through space for hundreds of years because this dude is hearing voices, Um, his wife's voice. She keeps telling him to finish it. 
And at first we don't know what he's supposed to finish. Well, at first he's like meditating against the stars. And I love the shots where we only see his silhouette against the stars. Yes. And so there's a starlit background and you just see a black shape and it's Hugh Jackman. And then he sort of black back flips down along the curve of the bubble and ends up back by the tree. And every time he goes to interact with this tree, he sticks his finger out and the hair on the tree stands up. Because it's alive. Like someone would if you were giving them goosebumps, like brushing your fingers over somebody. Right. And he Or whispering against their neck. Yeah. And really our first introduction to this tree bubble is like, well, I'm just gonna go for it, guys. Because I'm not this is I'm gonna throw you in the deep end of the pool. Because first he goes down the bubble. And then he walks up to the tree and then he takes a part of the tree. He like clips a piece of the tree off yeah. and he eats it. Right. And he says, don't worry. I only need to take a little. I only need to take a little. And this line is repeated so many times and in the exact same tone of voice that he's probably been saying this line to the tree for hundreds of years. Yeah. And... As you see the tree more and more, you realize almost the entire tree is dead. Yeah. There's just this one clump of like thick bark. That's left. That's left. And that's where he goes to in the tree that yeah. has the, the hair, hairy things that stand up when he gets close. Right. And all of his technology in this bubble is like Stone Age. He has a, um, it used to be a pen nib but it's tied to the end of a stick. And he has like... He has a little bowl. He has a little bowl made out of a gourd or something. And that's pretty much it. I mean, he has a some tools or accoutrement or whatever, because eventually he makes his own tattoo ink. Yeah, he crushes it and grinds yeah, it. Yeah, he has a little fire and he makes ash and um, resin tattoo ink. But yeah, we are not in a... We are not in a, we are in a spaceship in the loosest definition of the word spaceship right. in that he is in a vessel and it is out in space and it is traveling in a direction and we will get zero zero explanation. Right. And this is really why it fits into fantasy versus sci-fi because in sci-fi the technology is a part of an important part of the yes. story. Yeah. And at least explaining what the technology does if a lot of times you ignore the mechanics of how the technology works. You just say, yeah. oh, we have this tool, this system, whatever, and it does these things for us, and yeah. we can use it in these ways. Right. That's like a, a focus of what makes it sci-fi. Nothing here. Yeah, no. Nope. We just know he's in this bubble. Right. And we're there with him. And if the past storyline, the conquistador storyline, is Izzy's way, is Izzy's view of Tom then this is our way of seeing how Tom views Izzy, the future. Because we get the sense that to him, this tree is divine, and he is carrying out some kind of divine mission by taking this tree to the afterlife. Right. Because he is taking it to Shibalba to the star that the Mayans pointed to when they talked about their afterlife. And he has been traveling with this 
tree for hundreds of years. And he clearly has some kind of routine that he does with it because he he eats the tree that's his only source of nourishment in the entire bubble. And he uses it for his tattoo ink, which he has tattooed himself all the way up one arm and most of the way down the other. And he spends a lot of time meditating and floating in this bubble. And and, reflecting on his past. And reflecting on his past. And to him in this bubble, his past is a very physical thing. He literally sees Izzy. And she keeps telling him to finish it. And we are seeing all of the other stories through the memories of this man in the bubble. Right. It's so, every every scene is I guess every scene of present day is a flashback from him in the bubble. Yeah. And I think every scene of the conquistador story is a like a dream or it's yeah. him wrestling with the idea of finishing it. But it's it's always the conquistador story is always triggered. The scenes of the conquistador story are always triggered from the present day. Yeah, and the present day scenes are always triggered from the bubble. Right, and he's also and he is also wrestling with the fact that she left the story unfinished. Izzy, Izzy dies, um, like moments before he finds out that he's cured cancer. Right, he's. He has treated, he's put together this compound. Yeah. He's treated the, they have a, I don't know, a set of experimental apes, animals, yeah, whatever, um, that have brain tumors. And so he's part of the team that does a surgery to administer um, these experimental compounds into these apes and measure what happens afterward. Yeah. And so it's like a week or something before Izzy dies. He tries out this compound and uh, the team calls him the next day and they're like, wow, like huge, like neural improvements, like all kinds of stuff. And uh, they're throwing some numbers at him and they're like, look, here's uh, Donovan. Donald? Yeah, Donovan. Uh, Donovan. Yeah. And he's like, where's Donovan? And they're like, he's right here. No, that can't be him. Like his his scalp uh, incision is like scabbed over. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, okay, cut the bullshit. You're just throwing numbers at me. Sure, that's pretty impressive what happened. What does the tumor look like? Yeah. That's what I'm here for. The tumor. Right. Yeah. I'm here to cure cancer. I'm not here to make people immortal. Right. Yeah. I'm not here to speed up healing. I'm not here to in, like improve age, yeah. age-related declines. Uh, I'm here to shrink tumors and get them the fuck out of brains. Yeah. And, uh, and they say, oh, the tumor's the same size. And so then like he's like back to the drawing board. Over the next series of days. Yeah. I don't I didn't keep track of exactly how many days it was, but they keep bringing up, hey, wow, Donovan is doing even better. Yeah. And you know, things just keep improving and there's so much here. Uh, we need to replicate this result. Yeah. And he's like, measure his tumor again. 
and they keep coming back, it's the same size. It's yeah. Like, okay. We'll we'll keep Donovan. Like you can keep taking measurements on him, but we need to yeah. move this along. Like, yeah, that's not my goal. We're missing time here. Yeah. Um, we need to find the thing that shrinks brain tumors, and then it's like he's in the hospital. Izzy's not doing well, and uh, the like. I guess probably his like manager in the lab. Yeah, is kind of scolding him and then she's at the hospital he shows up and he's like hey can you run um like run rerun the scans for me please scan him one more time for me please and she's like okay and so then he's there and izzy um izzy's heart stops yeah and so while he's out in the hallway as they're trying to resuscitate her and his manager comes back and she's like, you'll never believe this. The tumor's almost gone. Yeah. And if, and so then he has this regrettable moment where it's like, if I had had this moment, this information, like an hour ago. Yeah. Izzy could be alive. Yeah. So Izzy passes away right as he's discovered that he cured cancer. And before she can finish her book, which I think is partly by design. Right. I think she, I think she didn't have a good ending. No, I think she intended him to end well, it. Right. And I think she didn't have a good ending. And then she realized that this was an opportunity. Yeah. A, a thing that she could leave behind to give him some purpose. Yeah. Um, because it's her last request. Yeah. To force him to think about. The story to force him to think about the lessons of the story and to reconcile her view of him and his view of her and to create a perfect loop between the two of them. Right. Um, which he does at the end. That's our resolution is he finally finishes it 500 years later, which right. honest to God, if I wrote a story and I didn't finish the last chapter and I died and I was like, Matt, finish this. He would absolutely wait 500 fucking years to finish the story. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the perfect mechanism for procrastination. It's like, oh, I can't Kinda. get around to this right now. I will literally make myself immortal so that I have as much time to put this off as possible. <laughs> I have no deadline. I'm not doing shit. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. that's that really is our circle at the end is he finally finishes it. And this is one of those parts in the movie where you have to just experience it the first time you watch it and then think about it and then experience it again and then kind of get to where you feel like you understand what they're trying to say. Right. Because the whole movie is about mortality and life and the interconnectedness of life because Izzy is this tree because he planted this tree over her grave. And she has this really right. beautiful story. I think that's story. actually the last scene in the movie. Yeah, she has this beautiful story where she talks about how to, when she went to um, the Mayan ruins or she had this Mayan guide. Oh, yeah. And the guide, he was saying, about the guide's father. Yeah, his father died, and he said, "Well, if you dug up his grave, he wouldn't be in there, because I planted a tree over his grave, and he became the tree." 
Yeah, he was absorbed by the tree. He was absorbed by and the so tree. So everything that was him is now in is the tree. Now in the tree. Which I'm pretty sure is the plot of this of Speaker for the Dead. Remember in Speaker for the Dead, Ender goes to that planet where everything's interconnected. Right, but the the local like sentient species actually turns into trees. Right. They literally become the tree. Their their whole body their their essence, their sentience becomes the tree. Their body becomes the tree. Yeah. Like literally. Like, yeah, but then that's what I'm saying. This is what we're going for. Yeah, it's very analogous. Yeah, it's pretty analogous. Where the reason he's in this bubble with this particular tree is because this tree is Izzy to him. Right. Because this tree is the tree that grew over Izzy. It's the second to last scene. He plants the tree over her grave. Yeah. And then the final scene is when they actually go into. The, the nebula. The, yeah, the dying star. Yeah. And the tree explodes into life. Yes. Okay, Which, well, that's what I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to walk us through the loop at the end, okay? And you keep distracting me, which I have to stay focused here because it's a lot. Um, he's finishing it, and he's really finishing it in a way that's like, I'm not trying to make this book for publication. I'm trying to wrap this up in a way that helps me reconcile everything. Right. Um, and he's creating a link. Between all three stories. Because, right. yes, he's in all three stories, but there is no link. So at a certain point in the movie, he loses his wedding ring. Tom, in modern times, loses his wedding ring. And at the same time, the conquistador is gifted the ring. Which she, when she wrote this, she would have written that part of the story before he lost his ring. Right. So it's a little serendipitous. It's our link. So the conquistador has gifted that ring. And at the very, very end, the ring gets passed back to the man in the bubble. The Tom yes, from in the, bubble, the conquistador. From the conquistador. Because the conquistador gets stabbed. And yeah. then when the Mayan guardian of the temple looks back, he is Thomas from the bubble. Yeah. Floating. Yes. In the temple. Because he accepts the view of himself that Izzy had. Right. He actually adds his story of traveling in the bubble to Izzy's conquistador story. Yeah. Well, he accepts that he is he is her conquistador. He right. accepts that he was this person to her. Right. There's, there is an identity relationship there. Yeah. They that, are the same thing. That he never believed he was that person to her, that he was that strong fighter who was doing everything it took to save her. Oh, you think like he, he regretted that he didn't spend enough time with her? I think he regretted he that he thought, didn't save her. Well, yeah. He regretted that he was 15 minutes And too ultimately late. his... All of his, you know, years of effort yeah. in the lab were wasted. Yeah. Because he wasn't able to and so he's spent the last solve this problem. Five hundred years fighting to make up for it. Staying alive so that he can find a way to redeem himself. Staying alive with the tree. Yeah. So that he could redeem himself to Izzy. Even though Izzy is now just a tree. Right. And so he had to forgive himself. Right. And so as he's in the bubble, he keeps like actually seeing visualizations of his memories of yeah. Izzy in the bubble. Yeah. And 
he's always pushing it away. Yeah. Because he, you know, he doesn't feel like he's worth the memory of her. Yeah. Uh, or he does, he's not worthy of his memory of her. Yeah. And then, well, he's, and he's, it's too painful for him. He can't accept that mortality is inevitable and that she was, she had the entire complete life that she was intended to have. And he didn't fail her. That was way, that was the way her life was meant to go. Right. It it wasn't, there wasn't anything wrong or incorrect with what happened to her. Right. Or the way that it happened. And so by finishing it, by giving himself back the wedding ring, and by seeing himself as the conquistador, and then by seeing the conquistador as not saved by immortality, but saved by passing his life force on to something new, by taking the energy that he would have hoarded by being immortal and passing it on to new life, the cycle of life. Which is when he meet, he finds Izzy at the museum. Yeah. And she's trying to talk to him about these. The creation story. The creation story that's carved yeah. on these tablets. And she's like, the the idea that the uh, like dying or is an death act of creation. as an act of creation yeah. is ultimately how he ends the story. Yes. Because Tom in the bubble goes into the conquistador story, becomes the conquistador, and then ends up turning into the tree. Yeah. Well, I guess he doesn't turn into the tree. He, he just turns, turns into, into the plants. Plants, flowers. The flowers. Yeah. Which I guess was a like Mayan story where if you were a great warrior when you died, you became like flowers and butterflies and you got to pass your life on and become something new. And so that's why at the end, I think he accepts his death. He says, I'm going to die. Right, and he and finally forgives himself. Because he's completely okay with it, because he forgives himself, because it was never his fault. Right. Death is inevitable. Death happens. Death is nobody's, death should be nobody's fault. It is just something that occurs. And it wasn't, he did everything he could. And she knew that. And she had already forgiven him. And she had, she even says, I'm not afraid. I'm ready. Right, and she said, like, when I collapsed, I felt full. Yeah. And I, I really like that description. Yeah. I feel like that conveys a lot of what it, what a dying person might actually feel like if right. they, like, finally feel at peace with right. what's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think death is a really complicated thing to tackle, which is why this movie feels complicated. <laughs> and mortality... And probably why it wasn't... It's very art house. I yeah. mean, honestly. Uh, but it's good. I mean, of course it is. We like it. No, we like, well, you know what? We don't like everything, but we like we, odd things. We like and this artistic is, and cerebral. And cerebral. Movies. This is pretty cerebral. This is one of those movies that you could watch it with a group of friends and then you could really sit down and dig into everyone's interpretation and they would all be different. Yeah. And I just love the boldness of the three storylines. Right. With like 
so yeah. little explanation. And there was no attempt at making this marketable. It was like, this is the story. This is my vision. This is the story I want to create. And I'm going to make it. And I'm going to show it to you. And I am unconcerned with whether or not this matches your couch. Right. And it has a similar feel of like coherence to the vision like Mandy. Yes. Right. It's like, I have the idea. I'm going to execute the idea. I'm not going to compromise my vision of what this story will be. Yeah. You can tell the director loved this story. Right. Whether or not anybody thought it was going to be a commercial success. Right. And a lot of these effects are practical effects like micro photography and micro videography and not CG. Of course, the, 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 the yeah, tree bubble, the bubble is effect CG. is the only CG thing. So it has aged phenomenally for a movie that is 17 years old. It's beautiful. It's as beautiful as when I saw it in the theater last time. The scene at the end always reminds me a little bit of 2001 A Space Odyssey with the space baby. Yeah. Where he starts to glow because they're going into the star and he's finally going to be finished. He's finally going to die. And they will both have completed the entire circle. So they will go to this dying star, become a part of it, and then someday when the star dies completely, they get to be part of the new world that this star creates. Right. So it's death as an act of creation, just like Izzy imagined right. so long ago. Yes. Yeah. Him dying in at Shabalba is and and thus seeding whatever forms out of the supernova. Yeah. Uh is is him contributing to the creation of something completely different. Yeah, and I think that's new. why the tree comes back to life at the end. Because the tree dies right. just before they get there, just like in modern times where Izzy dies just before he saves her. Yep. This tree dies just before they get to the afterlife. But then Izzy's death sparks yeah. the creation of something new and bigger. Right. Because of her life, because of their relationship and his love for her, he cured cancer. He cured death. He cured death. He said death is a physical ailment just like anything else, and I'm going to find the cure for it. And he did. Yep. And, <laughs> and that was all spurred on by the fact that she had this terminal brain tumor. Yeah, so think of all the life he created and the life he saved because of her. And so I think at the end that's sort of what is the it's the culmination of it all is yeah, it's for him forgiving himself, which is a very simple theme but very powerful. Forgiving himself for his wife dying because he realizes it wasn't his fault. And I don't know, I just I I think a simple theme powerfully told is always nice to see is is yes. beautiful to see and it he didn't try to throw so much stuff in there that it ends up feeling too convoluted it feels achievable it feels right. like and so i think one of the big parts of why this movie works for us so well 
is because there's there's just this deep like wealth of interpretation upon interpretation that you can go through yeah. on this movie because it's a lot of really deep fundamental topics. A lot of um, what's the word? Foundational. Um, archetypal. Yeah. It's a lot of archetypal themes set in this these three stories, but we're not overwhelmed with lots of other interesting things happening because pretty much all of the other scenes in this movie are just like small slice of life moments. Yeah. So we have like the the intense moments in the lab and then he goes back and it's just like 90 seconds of them snuggling in bed. Yeah. And then like she's taking a bath and they're just chatting yeah. while he's like giving her a sponge bath. And and then they're like sitting out on the roof looking at looking through this telescope. Yeah. Snuggled up under a blanket. And I think just those small moments of the those little slice of life moments just kind of let you sit with yeah. the characters and their relationship and you know, let the the deeper stuff just kind of unfold in the back of your mind a little bit. Steep like tea. Yes. <laughs> just let you steep for a little bit. And by the time the waters get too murky, we're done. And we're ready to 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 sip our tea and see what see what we came out with on the other end. And it really is an archetypal story. I mean the if you think about it, the conquistador storyline is the hero's journey. Right. He is questing for an object of power that will redeem him and redeem his love. And so And the, ultimately save his country. And ultimately save his country. And so the whole rest of the story is what happens to the hero when he doesn't achieve his goal. What happens to this to the hero when in the end he doesn't win? And he was in fact never going to be able to win. Right. And how does a hero reconcile that? And so something I just realized was in in the bubble story, the tree die the tree dies right before they get to the star. Yeah. In present day, Izzy dies right before Yeah, I said that. Well, hold on. Mm -hmm. In the Conquistador story, he dies right before yeah. he gets to the tree. Because he's he's mortally wounded. Yeah, he gets before stabbed. He gets yeah, to the tree, and and so he fails right before he would have succeeded. Yeah, in in each instance. Yeah, yeah, until he accepts death. Right, and then boom, life. Then life. So he has to accept mortality, even though he cured mortality. Right. Oopsies, but now he's he has to accept it as as the ultimate goal of life that it isn't just an unfortunate end it is where we are all headed and that's okay and it's necessary and necessary to create more life right yeah yeah were there any parts of this movie you didn't enjoy i don't think so i think everything worked i think some of the religious overtones at the end get a little heavy handed for me. So when he's doing at the very end, when he's accepting death and he's literally floating up mm. 
to the top again and we sit in sort of like, like a sitting lotus. in lotus pose yeah meditating yeah that's i mean i get where we're going and it makes for some really cool shots which i'm not mad about but it ends up almost taking away from it a little bit because especially when the conquistador the conquistador turns into bubble guy and he's floating in the lotus position you get a it little it feels very anachronistic yeah you're all it's jarring which i think it's yeah. supposed to be jarring but it's overly jarring because he's right. floating in but not in and space anymore like there's this um common i don't know common conception of like eastern religions and yeah. ideologies whatever as better yeah uh and that kind of that's kind of what that felt like yeah it's like oh what what's the actual best religion oh like yeah buddhism or something right it just felt a little um i don't know it, we could have used different anything he could have just like been sitting on his knees or something something that didn't have a lot of um preloaded there's a lot of baggage a lot of preloaded baggage yeah. um with that and i mean and he does the like martial arts segment where he's doing martial arts against the stars yeah which is probably just supposed to be he's kept himself fit or he's right. been exercising or whatever um but that that again gives us this um we're trying to borrow mysticism right Without having to create it ourselves. It's like, if you can't make your own mysticism, store-bought's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the only part that, to me, always felt like, hmm, okay. That's a little contrived. I don't, lo I don't love that. I mean, it's okay. But it's not. I, we could have done something better. We were so imaginative and inventive with all the rest of it. You could have come up with your own seated position that didn't have so much preloaded stuff. Yeah. Packed into it. Yeah, I think it's safe to say we enjoy this movie. Clearly, rewatch is low for you because you haven't watched it in 17 years, <laughs> but you thought about it. I've thought about it a lot. I've thought about it a lot. I think directing wise, editing wise, uh, I'm happy with this movie. There's nothing oh, yeah, that absolutely. I feel like uh, this, this could have been shorter, that could have been longer, we could have added more of this or anything. I love all of it. Yeah, I don't think there's any of the like character interactions that I would have any improvement on no i think every every scene kind of hits the plot beat that it's trying to hit and all the character chemistry conveys right the the kind of internal and meaningful stuff that needs to be conveyed what you looking up what else hugh jackman was in around this time okay do we love hugh jackman and rachel weiss in this movie mm. Were they the best choice? So for Hugh Jackman, this is the same year he did X-Men Last Stand. Two years prior to this, he did Van Helsing. So we're in his superhero era right here. Yeah, I noticed when, uh, when he pulled up his arm to continue the tattoo. Yeah. It was a very shapely arm. <laughs> And I was a, like, when was this? a shapely arm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, when was this in relation to Wolverine? Wolverine, like OG and I thought Wolverine? This was, this was either pre-Wolverine, like right before, 
or this was like a few years after where he'd kind of slimmed down again. Yeah. We're in the middle of his his action hero era right now, though. So this was a step. This was a sidestep. This was a Robert Pattinson move. Right. A, a diversification. A diversification. A, I have been in, I'm very close to being typecast. And right. I, won't, I don't want to be that. So I'm going to take a sidestep here. Uh, in retrospect, he has successfully avoided being typecast. I think because he does these just off the wall, where did that come from? Right. Movies. Um, which is good. That's what you have to do. You have to just break up, break up the chain by being in something like a passion project like this. Um, Rachel Weiss, I don't know. She's okay in it. I think she does a good job. She's really pretty. And she does a good job of being of being the Izzy, the character. Yeah. Both her sadness and then her acceptance and all of that. We buy I buy all of that. I don't know what else. Maybe I'm still mad at her because she wouldn't come back for the mummy sequels. Maybe. Oh, the the third one. How dare you abandon Brandon like that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw a, on on that some on a similar tangent. Um, somebody posted a picture of Brendan Fraser with one of the bumper stickers yeah. that says, <laughs> I would rather be uh, watching the 1999 masterpiece. Yeah. The, the mummy, mummy starring, starring Brendan yes, Fraser and I Rachel Weiss. Yeah. Well, she's been in more than I gave her credit for. Just looking it up. Yeah. I think the casting in this is all good. I mean, there's like two characters. Right. There's two characters. There's two main characters and. I thought this was interesting. The Mayan characters are legit. Oh, yeah. You like, looked that they up. They literally went and found Mayans and flew them in to be in this movie. And they picked the, and the guy. And only one of them spoke English. Well, one guy spoke pretty good English, and he's the one they chose to be the the really cool priest. The flaming sword guy? Yeah, the flaming sword guy, which I love aesthetically all of that. And they actually blessed the pyramid for them before they filmed which I think is really yes, cool. The Mayans too. blessed the pyramid. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. I mean, in a movie, Rachel Weiss is in The Mummy just prior to this, and she's Nefertiti. So she's a Right. Uh, so we're we're not in our we've realized we're whitewashing everything. So for them to cast the people who are actually the ethnicity that right, that they're supposed to be. Very Progressive. It was very nice. Yeah, and it keeps you in the movie. When I was watching the the first um, conquistador scene where Hugh Jackman goes to see the queen, yeah, I was kind of like, uh, Hugh Jackman as a Spaniard. And then I thought, mm, it doesn't really matter because this is this is her story about the two of them. Yeah. And... She just happens to like this particular setting. Right. And so it's not trying to tell the story. Tell It's not trying to tell a story in that setting as like a realistic fiction right. in that setting. No. This is a completely fantastical story in this setting where she and her husband are the main characters because... That's the important part. The setting is just tangential. Yeah, incidental. I'm thinking of other analogs. Uh, 
or parallels between the stories. How were they and all I was, connected? I was thinking about the the priest, uh, the priest that guides Conquistador Thomas mm-hmm. to the temple. I was thinking, who is, what's his parallel in the modern day story? I don't think everyone has a parallel necessarily. I was going to say Donovan. Donovan. <laughs> well, he also has the lady that is like their friend. We don't really explore it very deeply, but she's the older lady who's the manager at the lab, but she's also good friends with Izzy. And then he has his oh, yeah. side. He has two sidekicks. He has like the nurse, and then he has the 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 fellow that he works with. The one that he's like when he's looking up and he's seeing the snow come down on the light, and he has his revelation about the tree. Yeah, and he says, "Take your compound and the, you know the the molecules from the tree. Now picture them lying on top of each other like a lover." And he does this hand gesture. Yeah, and I don't think we're supposed to get it. I right, know. I think it's supposed to um, convey some kind of like technical concepts, and it, I feel like it effectively conveys that they are discussing very technical concepts about their field without having to teach the viewer about organic chemistry or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it, it's like really effectively done. It's a good shorthand, but achievable. We don't have to go tech, tech, the tech. Right. Yeah. And so it, it, it doesn't take us out. Right. And we don't even throw any like really long medical terminology in there either. Yeah. They do a very good job. The dialogue is phenomenal. They do a really good job of giving us the sense that he is this brilliant researcher without having him over the top where he's he his his dialogue is un, unattainable for right. most people it's like you you get the sense that he's a real person it, it keeps you in the it keeps you in the love story and not right. in the technical story right yeah the i guess the the lover metaphor really grounds his explanation in the human aspect. Yeah. But still conveys two technical experts discussing concepts. Yeah. In using analogies that they're both familiar with. Right. Yeah. So I think in summary, this was a excellent passion project, thought provoking, visually stunning, which we always yes. love. <laughs> um, I remember uh, when Netflix used to have like really, really specific categories. Granular. Yeah, I always had at like at the top of my recommendation feed was visually stunning thrillers. Yeah, visually stunning, visually stunning, and also, um, it doesn't feel like it doesn't have a happy ending. Objectively, it doesn't have a happy ending. Right, but it feels like it has a happy ending. Everybody dies in the end, but you're okay with it. By the time it's we too get, bad she won't live. But then again, who does? You were just on the visually stunning. You were like, "Oh my god, Blade Runner!" Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's why I think that's why we like it. it's deceptively simple. It's one of those movies we like, which is I can casually watch this, or I can go uh, I can go on a fucking deep dive 
Right. Whichever one I, I can just do. watch this, let, and while I'm doing something else, and just look up at me and be like, "Oh man, that scene looks go so good." Okay, back yeah. to what I was doing. Yeah, it's achievable, it's attainable, but it's beautiful. It's well done. I think it's rewatchable. It's rewatchable in a I'm going to sit down and share this with somebody. Yeah, and we're both going to watch this movie without our phones. We're just going to watch this movie and experience it together. That's the kind of rewatchable it is. It isn't the, I just want to be entertained. I I want something super light and entertaining. I just, I'm going to throw on the fountain. Those words are never going to come out of my mouth. (laughs) But I don't think that doesn't make it a good movie. I just discussed 2001 A Space Odyssey with Kate. Because she was like, I'm not a cinephile. I don't get it. I don't think, everyone thinks 2001 A Space Odyssey is the best movie ever. I don't think it is. I said, it's not rewatchable. It's barely watchable but that doesn't make it a bad movie. Right. <laughs> I was like, you you have to think of it like this. This movie came out before we landed on the moon. Right. You haven't even this seen. This was visionary this in was the time. fucking visionary. And the sets, the miniatures, the way they used them, beautiful, iconic, un- unachievable. Now, that right. kind of groundbreaking push forward in cinema. The last scene where he looks over and sees himself and then he is that person. And then he looks oh over gosh. and sees <laughs> the, the, uh, that part is the best part in the entire movie. Right. And if you just had that as a short, I would watch the shit out of that just to be like, well, you want to see something super trippy? I'll put it on for you. <laughs> this is going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. The 45 minutes of high pitched squealing while colors move across the screen. <laughs> Not so much. Okay. So on, on the topic of 2001 A Space Odyssey mm-hmm. was a groundbreaking visionary movie of the time, but now is hard to watch. Yeah. And besides the visual effects, you don't get much out of it. That reminds me of, um, I was listening to a guy and he was talking about Freud and he's like, if you try to talk to somebody about Freud today and like you're going through his material and you say like, Oh, here's the stuff you might not know. There's not a lot there. And it's like the leftover stuff. That's kind of some character flaws and whatever. And they're like, Oh, there's not that much to Freud, but like the bulk of Freud was really valuable information, useful information that became the foundation of a lot of stuff in psychology. And it's like taken for granted. And yeah. it's like. He's so it, ubiquitous. It was right. It, he was so ubiquitous. It's like and who so invented prolific. the spoon. And then you like. If you watched the movie when it first came out, if you watched 2001 A Space Odyssey when it first came out and you watch it now, it's like 90% of the movie isn't that interesting now. Yeah. Because that 90% was so inspirational and so amazing. It inspired so much more development and just kind of advancing upon those topics that... 
it's just so old school. Right. It's become ubiquitous. But it's because it was so good at the time, it inspired everybody right. to do things very similar to it and just advancing it. Yep. You got to throw it in its context. Right. You got to put on your context lenses. Uh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and really see it in in its place. Right. For what it is. Which is this movie too. And it's like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Lord of the Rings feels almost derivative now because, oh, it's just a story about dwarf and elf. Right. These things called hobbits, Except whatever. Except he fucking created all of that. Right. Yeah. He made it up first and then it feels derivative because it's been duplicated so many times because yeah. so many people were inspired by it. It's It's saturated the culture. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. Do you think the fountain will ever saturate the culture? I don't think it got the distribution it should have. Uh, no. I, I think it, there are a lot of useful pieces that could have been advanced upon. So this is another thing I was talking about with Kate. It was okay. the evolution of the movie. Because we were talking about how 70s movies are really hard to watch. A lot of 70s movies are extremely challenging for some reason, this particular decade. And I said, well, really, when we first got movies, we were replicating stage. And stage was a known element. We knew how to entertain people with a stage play. If you keep a movie roughly the same pace as the stage play it's based on, it's going to be entertaining. And then at the farther we get away from purely filming a stage play and putting it up on the movie, on the movie screen, the more challenging it becomes because you're creating the medium. We've, right. ha we've had stage plays since the Greeks, right? We've, we know right, how forever. to do that. We yeah. know how to do that. But how do we tell a story in this new format? And so really right, where you're not limited by the physical set. Right. Yeah. So really all the way up until the early sixties, we're just replicating a stage play. And then sometime around the mid sixties into the seventies, we're trying to create the movie as its own unique art form. And so a lot of seventies movies feel experiential and experimental because they are, they are. Because this had never been done. These right. are all and new. 99% of the experiments fail Yeah, because they, they don't work. Right. We are stabbing in the dark trying to figure out what works best. And then by the late 70s, early 80s, we're hitting our stride. By right. mid-80s, late 80s, that's why so many movies in the 80s are iconic. Because... They're taking all the successful experimentation from the 60s and 70s. And distilling it down. And well, pfft, yeah. I can generalize a lot of these things and then apply the concepts. Right. And then in the 90s, things start to feel... I mean, a lot of 90s movies are good, but by the end of the 90s, early 2000s, things start to feel a little derivative because we're just repeating what we learned. Right. We There hasn't been enough new experimentation. Right. And so then we really have to reinvent the movie genre. But right about this time, we get streaming. Well, now the secondary market isn't where you make money anymore. It used to be, it didn't matter. You, I mean, it was great if your movie did good in theaters, but you could make it up in the secondary market. That's right. what happened to The Princess Bride. It bombed. The secondary market is buying it at the store. Yes. So The Princess Bride bombed completely. 
completely in the, theater. in the theaters. And when it came out on VHS, it became a cornerstone of our culture, a fantasy culture, because people were buying it on VHS and sharing it and buying and it and sharing it, it and watching yeah. it at home. And it became something much bigger after it went out of theaters. Right. That doesn't happen anymore because there is no secondary market. No one goes out and buys the DVD. I mean, right. some people do, but not in the quantity. There are dozens of them. Not in the quantity you need to make it up. So you could have a movie like The Fountain where you put it out. It was all right. It maybe came out in half the theaters in the country, but not all of them. It did okay. But once it came out on, on DVD, you could assume people were going to start buying it. Oh, this is Darren Aronofsky or this is Hugh Jackman, whatever. There's some sort of draw. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rent this movie or I'm going to buy this movie. Right. And I think we are, again, in another period of transition. And that's why you're not seeing movies like this anymore. Because right, this, right now... I think this was the beginning of a potentially like new stage of experimentation. This was a stab in the dark yeah. at a novel right. movie structure. You have to keep pushing. Somebody has to push the envelope or we can't, we're and not going to move mistakes. forward. Yeah. I th that's what is happening to Marvel right now is when it first started coming out and they had their formula. It was, everybody loved it because this was brand new, but it's the same formula, but now it's the same formula. We're and done with a movie it. like 500. We're ready to push it forward yeah. again. But we are stuck in this cycle of movies having to make all of their money back in the, in the theater, box office. In yeah. the box office. And if they're not going to make enough in the box office, we don't even put we don't even put them in the box office. We just release them on a streaming platform. Right. And so movies are in this stage of transition where if you aren't going to be a blockbuster, you don't get made. Right. Like um somebody I was hearing somebody say something about a uh, Batgirl movie or Batwoman movie. And yeah. they they basically made the movie. Yeah. But then they were like, ah. Nah, never mind. It's not going to do well. So they just scrapped it and they're writing it off as a loss. Right. A tax write-off. Right. So you don't get these small passion projects like this anymore. Right. Because it's not going to make them. It's not going to make money in the theater. That can't compete with Ant-Man. No matter how crappy Ant-Man might be or how crappy everybody seems to think Ant-Man is because I haven't seen it. I'm not going to see it. Um, it's, it can't compete with the, the fountain couldn't compete with a Marvel movie, right? even a worst Marvel movie, because it doesn't have the draw that Marvel has. And so we've lost this a little bit. And I'm always excited when I see things like Mandy and some of the other passion projects that Nick Cage is doing right now. Right. It, you end up having to have some really famous actor or a really successful director or something like that. Yeah who picks up a passion project and self funds it. Yeah. And so I think we are in a period of media transition. One, we're transitioning a lot to the TV because television is now the same production quality as a movie. Right. And you can take what would have been a like mediocre two hour movie yeah. and turn it into an amazing fleshed out like 10 episode miniseries. Right. And I think, that's why movies have been getting panned by the critics so much recently is because it's time. It's time for another revolution, but we haven't figured out what that is yet. Right. And so I'm, I'm interested to see what happens next. Hopefully it's something like we get movies back, this kind of movie back because right. the kind of movie we like is a movie that it was made because somebody loved it. 
because somebody wouldn't let it go. Yeah. The story, they felt the story needed to be told and that was how they told it. So I think it's a good place to wrap it since we were going to wrap it earlier and then we went on another tangent and then we can wrap it again. Another ending. Another ending. (laughs) There are no endings or beginnings in the wheel of time, honey. Yep. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.